Hi, and you're very welcome to the Mighty Mini Podcast with me, your host, Enda O'Doherty. I'm a motivational speaker, author, and mindset coach. This short but powerful podcast is bursting with ideas to change your life. Every episode is packed with stories, knowledge, information, advice that will leave you inspired. I'm so grateful that you chose this podcast. Hey, let's dive in. Hi, and you're very welcome to another episode of the Mighty Mini Podcast. Um, in writing preparation for today's um, podcast and interview, I really struggled because my brain automatically filled all the words I didn't want to say. So I didn't want to say our next guest is magical and a million other cliches. So I won't. Um, all I'll say is I'm delighted to welcome today. Keith Barry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Sure thing. Yeah, nice to meet you. How are you? I'm super. I'm super. I'm telling you so. At the moment, when I close my eyes, I'm seeing two giant orange circles because, much like yourself, I'm doing so much virtual at the moment. I see ring lights in my sleep everywhere I go. Yeah, uh, I can relate to that. And I'm also paranoid waiting for the dogs to bark, keep the front door to ring, my wife to come in and say, Are you nearly finished? Dinner's ready. All those things uh, that don't happen on stage but do happen in virtual. Keith, when I when I let uh, when I do natural public stalking of of my guests and I look up things like it becomes ridiculous reading out their achievements or what they've done, particularly when there's someone as world famous as you. Because like if I read out the list, the whole podcast will be that. But I did pick out uh, winner of the Merlin Award, and win, and I think a lot of people probably haven't a clue what Merlin Award is. But yeah. it's basically if you uh, it's the Oscars. I'm right in saying it's an Oscar for basically uh, magic. Um, yeah, James the Oscar Magic World, yeah. Yeah, the James Joyce Award and the Las Vegas Magician of the Year, which I suppose is the equivalent of Maradona scoring a, a goal or a hat-trick, is it, yeah. in, the Cup, in the World Cup final. Um, Keith and myself are both from Waterford, and this is the first time we've ever met. But um, from afar, Keith, we have always been proud of you and admired um, not only the magic, not only the the, uh, the presence, but there's, there's so many other things around Keith Barry that, that make people, I think, attracted to you. Um, I have a really easy question to start off, Keith. Really easy. You'll, 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 yeah. you'll laugh at this. Go for it. So, um, is it difficult being famous? You know, and, and, or is there even a recognition? Does part of your head realise that you are famous? Uh, I suppose yes and no. So I, I consider myself more, I suppose, a well-known personality than famous as such. Um, but for me, uh, I'm fine with it because I've always managed to manage it and I've managed it well since uh, an early age. So I suppose... For me, I was never in it for fame's sake in what I do. Uh, and that might seem strange to people given the fact that I, I'm probably pretty well known. But ultimately, you know, for me, it was always following my passion, following what I wanted to do in life, being on stage, performing, giving people moments of wonder and amazement. Um, so it was never really about fame or money for that matter. Um, so, but I did recognize I needed a certain level of recognition and recognizability in order to really follow what I love the most out of the many different things that I do, which is being on stage. So you need to be well known enough to be able to fill theatres such as, you know, the Olympia Theatre here in Dublin or Clarny or wherever it might be. Um, I don't really struggle with it too much. It's kind of interesting. People have this strange relationship with me is the way I put it, the, the public. So I think certainly some people enjoy what I do. Some people don't enjoy what I do. I'm fine with that as well. But yeah. for people who, who basically know me or would recognize me, when I'm walking down the street, very often this is the reaction that I would get. <laughs> There's your man. And then they look down at the ground because they're frightened I'm going to hypnotize them <laughs> that very moment. Um, yeah. uh, the, only, the only time I suppose it's a, it's a battle for 
magicians or mentalists, like I do a lot of different things, obviously, but magic and mentalism is a big part of what I do. And, uh, you know, when people ask to see something, you know, do something, do something, which I'm fine with. But, you know, if they ever saw a singer like Brezzy or Bono or whatever, name a singer, like they don't go, give us a song, give us a song. <laughs> you know, that just doesn't happen. Whereas with magic and mentalism, it does. Now, that's fine because I love it. So I always say yes. I'm always willing and I don't need any props. Like this, there's this age old, age old saying that you always have to have your pockets full in magic. You know, yeah, yeah. I can actually just do loads of different things with the power of the mind and stuff on the spur of the moment. But yeah. with that being said, the only time that it's ever a real problem is when people have a lot of alcohol taken on board yeah. and it's late at night and they started pulling drag out of you in a bar. That can get problematic. That's the only time that it's ever problematic. But in that, with that being said, you know, we, I have this thing. Uh, I shouldn't really say it on the podcast because I don't want people to know, but I'll say it and you can leave it in. Don't edit it out. I have this thing that I, I invented years ago called the pinky moment. Yeah. Uh, and you could be on the other side of a bar or you could be with your friends or whatever. There's no, so I, I, I just came up with this on the spur of the moment and we've used it only about four or five times, but ultimately the pinky moment is this. If, if anybody sees me in the middle of a crowd doing this, right? If I just do that, if I put my pinky up in the air. So basically then what happens is whoever's in my company at that moment in time, we all know that this is actually a serious problem now, right? We, we got to get out of there. So what happens is I love, I love what I call pattern interrupts. So, instead of getting into an argue barge with people who might be pulling our dragon out of me or whatever, basically whoever's in my company at that moment, we, they all just come along. We all link pinkies. So it looks really weird and bizarre. And then we just walk out of the bar with our pinkies linked, but we don't say a word. We don't say anything to each other. We just know that's the pull the shoot moment. That's the, we gotta go, let's go. And, we, and we've done it a couple of times and it's so bizarre people's reactions to it. Because they, they, they could be like, you know, getting really aggressive or just like loudy and leery or whatever. Yeah. And when they see this pinky thing happen, they just stop and it's a complete pattern interrupt for them. And they're like, what's going on? What are they doing? What's this pinky thing? And yeah. then we just get out the front door and we wander down the street or whatever. So that they're the only moments that are kind of problematic. But look, I don't mind that at all, the, the fame thing. I wouldn't want to be mega famous, by the way. It's not something I would enjoy, I don't think, you know? <laughs> My my wife my wife has a terrible problem, Keith, because in Waterford, particularly because I've been teaching thirty years, and then with the podcast, and then with my adventures with my washing machine. Like, there's someone. It's rarely that I don't know someone, or someone would recognise me. But um, she has a safe word, so we're talking. And again, it's not it's our pinky moment. So she'll say to me, um, you know, that roast should be done in about twenty minutes, which basically means shut up, walk on. I've had, I've had enough of this. You making small talk yeah, yeah, yeah. and trying to be nice to people. But uh, I spoke with, uh, I was on Jarlath O'Regan on his uh, Irishman Abroad podcast. Yeah. Jarlath said exactly what you said. He said, sometimes like it's tiring. He finds it that, um, you know, like you could be absolutely anywhere at the bus stop, in the chamber, and someone says, do something, you know, make me laugh, make me laugh now, you know. He said, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't, always, uh, doesn't always work like that. So a, a weird story came back to mind, Keith, um, this morning when I was reading over notes for today. You know, there was lots of stuff on, on, on social media about you and lots of stuff in the media, but something came back to me. I think it's old age. I had a flashback. So I'm in Woodlands. I'm in the jacuzzi. And uh, it was John a time Flynn, when I, huh? With John Flynn, my uncle. But anyway, continue. He's always in the jacuzzi in the Woodlands. Uh, you know, this is the problem with interviewing mentalists because they already know what you're going to say. So I was in the jacuzzi, and this is a long time ago. And I, at the time, I was drinking pretty heavily. So to pacify my wife i went to the gym but basically like a lot of guys up there we sat in the jacuzzi and the sauna and talked for ireland and i met this man and we're talking about our kids and we're talking about our you know families and um this man told me that he had a nephew and he was so full of ideas and energy and he does a lot of magic tricks and he told me that 
one day he was going to be fantastic. He was going to be, he was just going to be a legend in the world of magic. And I listened politely and I, I can remember vaguely thinking like, come on, who makes a living from magic? You know, yeah, like, yeah. and uh, you're right. Yeah, it was, it was your uncle. You know, if, if your uh, autobiography, you know, when the, the third version when it's been written, I, I think it should be called from, say, from Waterpark to Vegas or Waterpark to Hollywood. Yeah. Do, you ever, do you ever reflect on like, you know, coming out the front gates of Waterpark and waiting for a lift home with your mom or dad or getting the bus up the Dunmore Road to, you know, hanging around with, with you know, Ellen DeGeneres or being on MTV? Like, does it ever blow your mind that that's the journey that you've been on? Yeah, I still pinch myself. So I, I, I would like to think I've never lost the run of myself, even when I've been headlining in Vegas and stuff like that. I think it's important to surround yourself with people who keep you grounded. Um, with that being said, I think a lot of it comes from your family. Like, you know, when you said my my mom, my dad, my mom always always very careful to tell me, I'm not your mom, I'm your mum. So it's my mum and dad for me. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, so so I mean they kept me very grounded. And like that, they were like, Look, magic is great as a hobby, but you know, you just don't know if you're gonna make a living out of it. So you gotta go to college. Uh, and I didn't really fight that. I was like, okay, I'll go to college then. So I went to college for four years in Galway and became a cosmetic scientist. So a lot of people don't know that about me. I'm a cosmetic scientist by trade, which basically means I used to invent women's makeup for <laughs> Oriflame, which is a Swedish cosmetics company. Um, but then I, that was in Dublin. So I was doing a lot of magic on the side when I was in Dublin, a lot of mentalism, a lot of hypnosis on the side. Um, you know, and then after two and a half years of being a cosmetic scientist, that's when I jumped into it full time. But when I look back and when I reflect on the, on the journey, because I am a person, I don't live by any regrets. I always love to learn from my previous experiences. So I do reflect quite a bit on, on my experiences. And look, for me, you know, it all started at a very young age, five years with a Paul Daniels magic set. That's not up on my Wikipedia page. I need to figure out, I, figure out what, how, I don't know anything about Wikipedia. I need to figure out how to get in there, edit it and, and whatever. Because they say I started when I was 14, which is partly true. Uh, I bought a great book of magic when I was 14, but I got my first Paul Daniels magic set when I was five. So that's the first kind of living memory of, of yeah you know, magic, if you like. So to come from that all the way to where I am now, where I do a lot of different things, not just magic or mentalism. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. But like, again, I just pinch myself and I'm very grateful for the journey. Um, but, I, you know, it's like the moment we're in now, right? So I know you'll probably post this up on LinkedIn and stuff. And it's interesting to me, like, I didn't really focus or zone in on LinkedIn until the pandemic hit. Um, you know, I wasn't really very active on there. But, you know, people say to me, oh, you're very lucky because my, my business ultimately grew last year and is growing this year uh, because I, I, I'm now presenting and performing online pretty much on a daily basis. But people say to me, oh, you're very lucky. And, I, and I've gotten to stay. I used to like even a few weeks ago, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've actually started to flip that in my head. I'm actually telling people when they say that to me now, like, no, no, I'm not lucky. <laughs> like, what do you mean i was like well but everybody else painted the fence and cut the grass last year and yeah. just kind of immediately just waited and gave up almost immediately i spent 18 hours a day every single day yeah. pivoting online and putting my business online and figuring it out so there's nothing to do with luck and i don't say that in any way facetiously i say that in the hope that somebody maybe listen to this podcast or looking at this podcast actually stops for a moment and goes okay what would happen if i put in 18 hours work starting tomorrow into yeah. my into my mindset, into my business, into self-development. What would happen six months from now if I committed 18 hours a day? And people would say, I don't have time. I can't do 18 hours a day. Now, look, when I say 18 hours a day, I include in that part of what I do for, uh, you know, for my job is, you know, escapology and stuff. So I include, you know, going to the gym as part of my business, right? Um, 
and then of course look i take a, an hour with the kids or whatever a day so maybe it's not a full 18 hours but what i mean is every waking moment yeah. besides making enough time for my health and my family that's it it's work there's no netflix there's no golf there's no fishing there's nothing it's all in for that period of time now i've relaxed back on that now thankfully and uh, i can chill out i was fishing two days earlier this week <laughs> I'm going to sneak away again tomorrow fishing um so so yeah but like to get back to your original question look i pinch myself every day and, and i express gratitude every day for where i am right now uh, and look i still have huge ambitions i'm not exactly i, I never get content with where i am but i don't think any kind of successful individual does. I think you need to still have that hunger and desire to move forward always, you know? Yeah, I, I, you know, I find a lot of that reassuring. And I, I, I hear a lot of myself in that. Like, I mean, I'm probably, unfortunately, very well known for the washing machine, carrying it up Kilimanjaro or back yeah. to water. But I'm equally well known for talking about mental health and, and alcoholism. But the, the strange thing about being an alcoholic is, you know, that for years I was very embarrassed. And to be honest, it was going to kill me, you know? But that weakness, yeah. that ability to focus in on something and become obsessed with alcohol, which I was, um, like I was drinking four bottles of whiskey a week. I was drinking my Friday night drink, watching the old Celtic League, was a pint glass of vodka and a <laughs> bottle of Benelin on top of it. That's how. But, but yet I was in work suited and booted. But um, that ability to obsess and focus with so on something, I can now do that for a podcast. I can do that for my book. Yeah. I can do that for whatever it is. And, and it's funny, I, I work with a lot of companies similar to yourself, Keith, and I hear people something, they're always craving this key to success. And I think I think in modern society, you know the way it's add water, instant coffee, you know, press two buttons on your phone, you've got a friend, yeah. delete, you've got rid of a friend. Like technology is wonderful. But what I tell people, you know, there's that, um, you know, like you were saying that element of good luck, it, it's a myth, you know, it's a pain in the ass, it's hard work, it's 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 slogging, it's that ability to just to, to keep at it, you know, persistent yeah. effort. You know, with the, with the washing machine, I think you like this. So I promised myself uh, that when I started training to carry my washing machine, that I would do 10 push-ups every time I went to the toilet. I do 10 push-ups every time I washed my hands. The first year I trained for the washing machine adventures, um, I did 32,000 push-ups, excluding the gym, excluding gym sessions. Yeah. I turned into a human gorilla. You know those bad photoshops where you have this old man's head and then a like a porn star body underneath? I, uh, it was a total mismatch because of persistent, consistent effort, you know? Um, I was just thinking too as well, Keith, I, myself and my wife, I was being tortured in the MGM walking around malls and restaurants. My wife, we were in Vegas. Yeah. And we walked past um, the entrance to one of the theatres and this guy said, hey, are you Irish? And I was a little bit dismayed because, you know, the way you can tell Irish people, we have googly heads and we yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a particular way of dressing. You know, you can be, a, I remember as a kid being in mass or church in France and camping holidays, and you look across yeah. and you go, they're Irish. They're all sunburned. Yeah. They're all wearing pennies. But this guy said, you're Irish. And I was a bit dismayed because I thought I had totally blended into American culture. And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, um, he said, Keith, Keith's playing here tonight. And uh if there are any Irish people, you're more than welcome to come along. Was did you know that, or was that was that? Of course, I did. I, I sent out moles every night <laughs> to get to get people in to talk about the show because look, we were always at about seventy percent capacity paid. Yeah. But yeah. then I always wanted 100%. So I, I used to have these guys go out and girls go out and go, look, if you hear any Irish accents or see a patty, uh, you know, just give them a discounted ticket or give them a free ticket. So yeah. ultimately, yeah, I hope you I hope you came to the show, did you? We did. We, we went to that and we went to CA, uh, which was incredible in the NGM and uh, probably the lowest budget, but the best entertainment. I just loved them anyway. The Blue Man Group, I just thought it was... Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. No so different. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, well, it, I used to share the theatre with the Blue Man groups. So the Blue Man would be on before me, and then I'd go on after them. And look, I love Vegas myself and my wife, Ray. We go out there once a year if we can, uh, sometimes twice a year. Sometimes I get to go out for work for corporate events and stuff, yeah. which is great. Uh, so, yeah, I was out there about two years ago. I was out there for a corporate event for the American ATM Association. Never knew a thing even existed, but they, they <laughs> gave me a business last, and I did a one-hour performance for them and stayed three days in Vegas. So I love it, you know. And that, that leads me very, very smoothly to the next question. Is it an advantage? Do you find it's an advantage being Irish? Like I, when I'm working in America, sometimes it nearly confuses me or it sort of, I feel guilty about it because like I, I was in Baltimore there at a conference just before lockdown and I walked out on stage and I said, hello, how are you? Good morning. And like I had people all day, go, oh my God, your accent, say that again. And I said, good morning. And they said, oh my God, you're you Irish guys. You're so funny. Your accent is amazing. And I was like, I said to this woman, I said, you know, I didn't have an accent on the plane this morning. It only happened when I, when I got off the plane, I said, it's uh, a bit different, you know? Is, is it an advantage being Irish as an entertainer, do you think? I think so, yeah. I'm not going to deny that. You know, I think certainly in America, I think the accent helps. Um, I certainly don't, I definitely don't think it hurts. But for me, anything that helps you stand out, right, is always an advantage. So, um, you know, in my world, I mean, like I'm in a couple of different worlds. So, you know, in the speaking world, a lot of people probably don't know this about me. I've been in the speaking world for probably 15 years now, but I just kind of did it quietly behind the scenes for a long time. Yeah. So I would talk at the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity or, you know, any amount of tech conferences around the world in Hong Kong or wherever it is, right? Um, and ultimately in the speaking world, you know, you are two things, you're your voice and your content. And for me, you know, this sounds terrible, but I'm going to say it openly because, uh, you know, I haven't talked about this to a huge extent, but you might relate to this because I've noticed something about you. Your voice is not a flat Waterford accent and, <laughs> neither, and, and, and neither is mine. And I used to have a flat Waterford accent and I'm going to apologize to the Waterford people out there. I'm from Waterford. I love Waterford. I was there two days this week fishing. If, if I was going to die anywhere this week, it would have been hanging off a rock underneath the metal man. <laughs> all on my own but i had my life vest on so there you go safety first on the water but ultimately anyway um to get back to it i made a conscious decision when i moved to galway to to lose my waterford accent that sounds terrible but i figured out that over in america the flatness of my waterford accent which is the best way i could put it uh, is it, there was no depth to my voice so i actually trained my accent if you like to be a mixture of accents so yeah. there's still Waterford in there, which is the authentic self. Then uh, Galway, I was there for four years. So there's some Galway in there and some Dublin in there as well, because I've lived in Dublin for the best part of 20 years now. Um, yeah. So you are your voice. And I get the same thing as you do. It's like, oh my God, his voice, his accent. But that, but for, for me, that's yeah. by design. It's by design, right? And then secondary is the content. And then the USP for me is that I can entertain people all the time while delivering serious content, if you like, uh, you know, on a, a speaking uh, engagement or whatever. And then separately from that, as an entertainer, again, I think what sets me apart over in the US certainly is the fact that, you know, I've got the Irish accent, but also I'm kind of like the cheeky chappy, if you want to call me that. I'm kind of like, I don't take it too seriously what I do. Yeah. Uh, whereas out there, they've got like David Blaine was like deadpan and serious. And then you've got Chris Angel's. Yeah. Angel's kind of this weird, freaky kind of look. Um, so I'm kind of the, like the guy next door that you want to have a beer with, but you're kind of nervous. And that's, yeah. again, by design. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, the accent thing is, is it's funny you should remark on that because um, my agent in, in Canada, 
has said that to me several times that it's she described it as a mid-atlantic accent that you're clearly irish but you couldn't be specific where you're from you're definitely yeah. not dub you're definitely not well by top of the morning top of the town up in hillview eating the blah you definitely i mean i'm water for 30 years so i i think like that it's a bit of a mix um it's a bit of a mix of an accent but it's which, uh, which, which by the way just to interject like this is like we're from Waterford and we mentioned Waterford twice there but like I'll be honest like a Cork accent is amazing right but a lot of people won't understand that in the US so you have to just adapt it it's not about changing it it's not about being uh unauthentic is it unauthentic is that the right word anyway whatever it is um you know but ultimately it's just about changing and molding to the situation so I see myself like a chameleon very often um you know i have the ability to adapt to a lot of variety of situations which i enjoy you yeah. know i enjoy performing i enjoy presenting i enjoy talking i enjoy mind coaching yeah. i enjoy consulting on movies and i enjoy the diversity of that you know yeah, yeah. do you get nervous ever like is, is that a thing of the past is that when you were starting it or is it something that's always with you like i i rang my wife from the theater um, before lockdown and um you know i was in the green room on my own and i was starting to i could really feel that the, the butterflies going and I rang my wife and I said, uh, she said, how are you? And I said, I'm dying. And she said, great. And I said, I won't tell you on, on air what I said, but I said a rude word. And I said, I rang you for a bit of empathy and sympathy and love. I said, why did you say great? And she said, as long as you feel like that, you've still got that energy. The, the fact that you care means that you're going to go out on stage and you're going to blow those people away. And um, I said, yeah, but I just wish it was a little bit more comfortable. So in that context, do you, do you ever get butterflies or... Are you a calm zone all of the time? No, no, I get butterflies and nervous all the time. And uh, and again, I would agree with your wife. I think if you lose that nervous energy, it means you don't care anymore. Yeah. And for me, I, I always care about my audience. I always care about delivering. And I, but I did learn a long time ago now how to flip that nervous energy into positivity and into, you know, uh, I suppose what I call a nuclear energy on stage because, you know, I'm very different on stage than I am on TV or even on a podcast, right? So I'm a very large, larger version of myself. And, and I see it, I, I have this visualization that I do, which I call silver streams of consciousness. So I see these silver streams of consciousness connecting me and all one and a half thousand people in the Olympia, wherever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, uh, I have this whole technique. I won't get into it today because there might be some content, let's just say that I can't talk about coming mm -hmm. out in September, where I'll be talking about this in depth. But I have this, uh, to give you a tidbit, I have this technique that I use where I curl my toes at the side of this, the stage, and that act, acts as an anchor and trigger to something that I've memorized before. So yeah. ultimately, I'm able to flip that um, nervousness and, and negative energy into positivity and excitement. Because look, chemically, um, not to get too deep about it, but chemically, you know, and neurologically, you know, really excitement and fear are pretty much the same chemical reaction. It's the fight or flight and the amygdala kicking off. And if you learn how to control your amygdala and your red light warning system, you can flip from that nervous energy into that excitement. So I would agree with your wife. Yeah, look, nervousness is great once you can learn how to control it. But I remember the worst gig I ever had. Um, well, not, I mean, I've had a lot of bad gigs, but one of the worst was was the first. So I, it was in uh, the Ordre, the old jewelers up at the yeah, top of the yeah. hill in Waterford. For anybody who doesn't know Waterford, the Jewelers Hotel was up on the on the top of the hill. And ultimately, it was for Cromberg and Schubert. And uh, and my uncle Brendan got me the gig. I was about 14 years of age. And I went up and it was a kid's gig. And I'd rehearsed like crazy. So I got all my practice down. But the problem was I hadn't sort of preempted obstacles. I was too young. So when I went up there, 
there was like a hundred kids, they were unruly and they just tore me apart, right? They just tore me apart. But the whole way through, I was shaking. Yeah. So that's the worst thing ever for a magician. Like you could actually see the shakes. I couldn't like, you know, I'd hold up yeah. a pen, shaking like that. <laughs> that actually that actually lasted for quite a while through the yeah. years. I had to learn, I had to force myself through those yeah. nerves every second. And it felt terrible. And I used to feel sick. And once or twice I did vomit on stage. That was more on the boats. And it wasn't due to the rockiness of the boats. It was just yeah. getting nerves. But ultimately to get to it, you know, I eventually had to give myself or teach myself some tools and techniques in order to take control of that nervous energy. Yeah. Uh, as I said, that's the kind of content that, uh, you know, I'm releasing it in a certain way uh, in August or September. So I can't really talk about it too much. But ultimately, um, to get back to it, I think nerves are fantastic. I think anybody who doesn't get nervous walking on a stage or public speaking, I think it's probably because they've gone past the point of caring, which is a really bad thing, you know. Yeah, it's it's become banal or mundane. Yeah. I, I, for me, like I, I, the la I did the biggest I've done is it was a concert or a concert it was a conference I did in the states. It's about six thousand people in the auditorium. But my way of coping with it is I go because I'm not well known, particularly in America. I, I just went out front of house and I sit down beside someone on the left and talk to them. There was a group of girls from Hawaii there. I was chatting away, and they said, "There's some guy, Irish guy, who's going to be talking about carrying a washing machine into the clouds." And I said, "Oh, that's mad!" And we chatted away, and I, then I told them it was me. And I went to the center of the auditorium and met someone, and then I went to the extreme right and met someone. So when I was on stage, my my way of keeping calm was I spoke to the three people I had met. Now they were like hundreds of meters apart. I suppose the other thing I do uh, as a technique too, and uh, I, I'm not giving it to you because you don't need any help, but anyone listening to this might need it. But do you know the way I often find before I go on stage, I think, oh, my God, they can see the sweat patch or, oh, my God, I'm going yeah. to faint or I've forgotten my lines or, you know, the IT is going to die. And what I tend to do is on my right hand, I imagine the negatives that could happen. But then I let my mind race. I actually stack as many negatives as possible. So uh, nuclear war, ceiling collapses, there's a, you know, there's a fire, yeah. building, everything possible. And I find when I get, you know, the stack starts piling, I reach a point where my brain goes, that's never going to happen calm yourself you know but yeah. equally so i imagine all the good things on my other hand so you know somebody might like something or hire me for an event or somebody might buy my book or blah 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 but i pack stack up the two hands and then just before i go on stage i close my hand a bit like your toes i squeeze my hand on all the good outcomes and i go that's what i'm going to do that's what's going to happen you know but uh, i did i did have one in the states where i was backstage and i was doing that i was you know thinking to myself, good stuff, bad stuff. And before I went down, I went, here's the good stuff. And I walked on stage and there was a meet and greet afterwards. And uh, this this lady came over to me and she goes, um, are there many other Muslims like you in Ireland? <laughs> and I thought it was the beard. And she said, oh, I saw you back. From a distance, she saw me, it looked like I was in prayer, you know? Yeah. And I explained to her, I said, no, it's just a technique I use to calm myself before I go. And she, oh my God, that's wonderful. That's so good, you know? That's yeah. so good. But I mean, I think... People need to understand, you know, by shifting the picture in your head, which is really what you're doing there, you know, we all have the ability to to change what's going on inside our head in the in the moment, right there and then. Like I've done some crazy stuff in the past as a hypnotist with people who've got like fear of dogs for 20 years and they don't like a lot of people don't understand, right? Yeah. You don't need 10 weeks of coming to a hypnotherapist to get over that fear. I can actually help people get over that fear in an hour. Right. So, um, and it doesn't matter how ingrained in that fear is. And it's all about taking control of your subconscious brain, your autonomic nervous system and so on. But a quick tip for people listening who might be into public speaking, maybe nervous. Um, I always look at the audience as my family. So when I'm at the side of the stage, I think of them, not just my family, but as my best friends. And I go, okay, these are now my best friends and my family for the next hour. I love them. 
they're going to love me back. We're going to have a great time together. That's my internal talk, right? So I look at them all and I go, they deserve me. I deserve them. And I'm going to get a standing ovation. That's the internal talk that's going on in my head all the time. So that squashes down that negative self-talk that we all have. You're not good enough. You're, you know, you shouldn't be here, you know, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately you got to squash that voice down and magnify the other one. And that's what I tend to do at the side of the stage before I go on, you know? Yeah, and do you do you find like like I was really lucky this week to talk to a couple. I was talking to Ross Byrne, who he's Ireland number ten and Leinster number ten, and he was talking about um, which that concept of flow that sometimes you know he said it it, ha- it doesn't happen always, but he said you know sometimes in a game every single ball, no matter what he does, it lands in his hand. Every single kick goes exactly where he wants. Uh, it's it's literally yeah. mindless. Do you, do you get much of that as a performer? Do you find that sometimes you're in a complete state of flow? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because I visualize daily, I visualize outcomes, I visualize targets, goals, and so on. Like I talked to Rory Best a lot about this. Um, so I worked with Rory a lot uh, over a period of two to three years, maybe. And uh, ultimately, um, you know, it's even up on my YouTube channel. So people can have a look there. I interviewed Rory not so long ago. And ultimately, um, Rory even says it when I started working with him, I taught him how to correctly, creatively visualize. And, you know, he was saying the same thing. He was seeing plays, he was seeing catches and throws. And then he was saying to me, after certain matches, every catch and throw that he visualized came to fruition. Which <laughs> sounds like the law of attraction, which I kind of am critical of, if you like. Yeah. Um, but but I, you see, here's what I think. I think with correct creative visualization done properly, coupled with massive action, you're a guaranteed success. So if you think about what you do guaranteed, now that seems like a very simplistic statement, but if you think about what you do guaranteed, there's very little that you do guaranteed. But mm-hmm. if you if you know your why, you know your purpose, and then if you ultimately, after that, define you know, what your actions are that you need to take, coupled with creative visualization, you're guaranteed success. And a lot of people will question that statement, but I'll say to them, you're looking at the evidence. So everything that I creatively visualized at the start of the pandemic has come true. Everything, everything, everything that I created, but that's not because I sat here, like with your analogy, with my hands out, like hope <laughs> that's going to happen and land into my hands, right? You it's that I created, yeah, well, I have my whiteboard here. I'll flash it to you. I don't want everybody seeing exactly what's written on it, but there's my whiteboard. Yeah. Some people will pause it and try and zoom in on it, um, but it won't make any sense of it, by the way. But, but ultimately, like I've got my goals, I've got... Yeah, I got everything up there and I live by that whiteboard. Like every day I wipe stuff off and I put stuff up on it and I create and visualize. And and I would say to people listening to this, they can all do the same, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I, I totally believe in that, in, in the ability to visualize and the ability, I suppose for me too, I, I see, you know, back to what you were saying earlier about, I, ha- I have an expression I use, immediate and bloody action. So, you know, when someone says, I, I must get rid of that shed, you know, go out now, take a hammer, crash it, it's in pieces. Now you've no choice, do something about it, you know? And I think that ability just to to make the jump and then to obsess, to plan, to put in that effort makes a massive yeah. difference. You're you're a really busy guy, Keith, and professionally you clearly love what you do. But um, you know, anyone who goes looking for material about you online will constantly come back to the fact that you're involved in loads and loads of charities. And uh, I was so was I was talking to Trish Quinn from Waterford the other day. She was singing your praises about your involvement yeah, yeah. with uh, with Share a Wish. Why, yeah. why do you why do you feel the why do you feel the the need to be involved in so many charities? You know, it'd be very easy just to 
have your, your lovely secretary say, no, Keith's booked up at the moment. Why do, why do you still put out time for different charities? And it's it's not a recent thing. Like, you know, you have a, you have a long record going back to all sorts of different charities. What, what do you find you get from it? Well, I try and do a lot of my charity work quietly, if you like, right? Yeah. So I'm not looking for any recognition or anything, for, but some of them require public yeah. work. That's why they want me there, right? Um, and for me, again, it's just about giving back and that sense of not always being on the take. Um, and, you know, even now, just a few minutes ago, I made a couple of videos for different people in different situations and they're just kind of quick uh, get well soon videos or whatever they might be. But ultimately to get, you know, I just think sometimes we get so caught up in the world. I think a lot of people are quite selfish. They're on the take all the time mm -hmm. and they're never willing to give back. And like I work with a lot of companies such as yourself uh, and, and sometimes I can tell whether a company is going to succeed or not just by a gallery view in Zoom. Now, right. that's, that's crazy to me that I can do that. But like, for mm -hmm. example, last uh, May, I dealt with a couple of companies and, uh, and I wrote it down on my whiteboard, gone within six months, successful within six <laughs> months. All of, all of them came true. Yeah. I, said it to the, I said it to the CEOs, I said, here's your problem, right? So I addressed it. Uh, and any of the CEOs that actually took what I said on board, their companies did shift and change. Because here's what I saw. I saw a lot of companies where, for example, uh, a lot of screens weren't on to begin with, right? So people are hiding behind their screens. So that says yeah. something about something to me immediately about the company culture, yeah. right? So there's not collaboration going on in that company if people aren't willing to put their cameras on. They can make all the excuses in the world. Everybody's used to these excuses now. Everybody seems to fall for them. Like, oh, my Wi-Fi is bad. Oh, this and that. Oh, I had to go to the dentist. It's all rubbish, right? You should have your cameras on. Do you not remember the day when we used to all meet each other, like just over a year ago? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm just going to be in my bed, listening to my podcast. I'm going to have my... Like, it's nonsense. Yeah. And, then, and then very often... Like I did the same gig only a week ago for like two different companies in the, in the same day. And uh, company A, I just saw this, like bad body language, yeah. shoulders down, no reaction to what I was saying, nobody yeah. taking notes. So this was a keynote, so I was delivering content, right? So it wasn't the magician key, Barry, this was serious content I was delivering. Yeah. Um, nobody taking notes and I went, ah, oh, that's interesting. And then, and then I was thinking, was that me? Like. Maybe a bit off today or something. And then I did the exact same gig literally within an hour for another company. Everybody, cameras on, everybody, uh, proper lighting in their Zoom wall, everybody suited and booted, everybody aggressively taking notes, taking screenshots of the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> that company's going to win, full stop. They're going all the way. Um, and that's so interesting to me, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, body language and you know it's interesting to me employee engagement and motivation some companies are doing loads for their employees right now some companies are doing nothing for their employees right now mm -hmm. um and i find all of that fascinating i love the psychology behind it and i love being part of the solution sometimes um i enjoy i enjoy sometimes when i'm wrong you know i'm not saying that i have all the solutions uh i look i enjoy when i'm wrong when i see it you know me marking a company that Perhaps I think it's going to, to to not succeed, and then they do succeed. But but ultimately, you know, I think we need to really look. I mean, I don't know what your original question was. I've gone off on a tangent now, but I think <laughs> I don't. I think, the answer was so good, though. I've forgotten as well. <laughs> well, but I think just in the world, well, it was charity. It was charity. It was the charity it was. stuff, yeah. So again, you know, I look at all this kind of stuff, and uh, and I get so caught up in the corporate world. Yeah. I want to be sure that I give enough 
back. Yeah. So I mentor a couple of magicians uh, at the start of the pandemic. I, I zoomed into a lot of different hospitals, performed for free for them. But then I kind of wanted to kind of funnel that energy, if you like, yeah. into one thing that I felt passionate about. There's lots of different charities out there and, and a lot of them are great charities, but you know, make a wish. I'm the head of magic for Wake, make a wish. So great it's kind of, it's, it's the perfect, perfect match. And, you know, I put on a gig for them just before Christmas where I donated proceeds, uh, uh, proceeds, uh, a Zoom gig. Um, and look, I've got kids myself, I suppose, to get back down to it. I've got a 12-year-old and a nine-year-old, mm-hmm. and I can I can relate at least to the struggles that these people, these adults are going through with these uh, terminally mm-hmm. ill kids. Uh, and I can relate because my own kids have had their own battles with their health over the years. Look, they're, they're very healthy now, but we've had, we've had our own struggles, our own battles that a lot of people don't really know about uh, and they don't need to know about it but but ultimately that's how i suppose i'm so energetic about make a wish and just see a smile being put on kids faces you know yeah i think i think the whole charity thing you know sometimes i'm a little bit uncomfortable with when people sort of praise you for doing charity because i'm i sort of feel a bit guilty because and, and i of late i just tell people the truth i said look i help charities because it helps me it makes me feel good about myself yeah uh, it helps me sleep at night and, and you know and my, my dad would, would always say you know having a few quid in the in the bank is great but if you've nothing in your heart or soul, the money's pointless, you know. And yeah. um, to be honest, too, I, I I would, you know, like I'm lucky enough with 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 lockdown again. I you know put in the ring lights here, put in the studio, and, and major pivot. And, and I've been busier, but I'm not living in an airport. I'm not living in the car anymore. Uh, I've enjoyed what I've been doing. But you know, helping other people, it's it's great therapy for me, uh, particularly with mental health charities. Like I find. You know, when I see what people are struggling with, it reminds me of, you know, to be grateful for who I am and, and, and where I've got to today. You know, it's it's um, absolutely it's it's really good therapy. And I'd say too, Keith, I don't know about you, but like if you asked me in the last year to pick out my five best gigs, you know, I really got the biggest buzz out that really like were rocking and rolling. And um, they were all they were all freebies. They were all charity ones where, you know, <laughs> the people yeah. appreciated me being there. And there was, a, you know, the. The complete opposite to what you were talking about you know the guys like with the screen off or you know dead face yeah you know? but i think you're right too something you said there really resonated with me small things being big things like i, I love watching other speakers particularly people someone who's bad i love i watched a guy there before lockdown you know came on stage and said it gives me great pleasure to be here tonight and i wanted to stand up and say well your face doesn't know that because he was also, so like so i give talks like you do right and, yeah. and depending on what i'm talking about because i talk about a lot of different things depending yeah. on what companies, corporations need, very often I'll say something simple like that. I'm like, all right, so when we're talking about Zoom and how to present and perform online, like you, because it's a podcast here, and yeah. I'm just kind of kicked back, relaxing. So I've just got my laptop on. I've got a, you know, a print in the background. But you know my professional setup is actually over there where I've got a full-on cinematic and all the rest of it, right? But ultimately, to get back to it, um, you know, one of my one of my presentations starts with, you know, body language and how to read body language. So I have this whole presentation on how you can read micro expressions. So in other words, how to know what's going on inside somebody's head without them saying a single no. word, right? Yeah. So how to really read micro expressions. So there's a lot of books being written on it, but a lot of it is just based on, you know, hearsay. Whereas because I'm on stage all the time and really trying to read people's <laughs> body language, I can actually do that, right? So I, I impart this knowledge, but I start with when you're on a Zoom presentation, start by smiling and i can see the reaction like really are we paying this guy to tell us to smile and i'm like and then i look at them all i go look at you all no one right now is smiling no one's yeah it's like this deadpan stuff and it's so intriguing to me that the amount of zoom meetings i've had with uh 
you know, CEOs, CMOs, whatever it is. And I go, and I, they would say to me, how are you? And like, it's like at the start of this conversation, you said super. Now, whether or not you feel super is relevant because I know you're the type of person that will say super every single time. So every single time that I come on that, uh, that virtual, it doesn't matter if I'm tired, if I'm hungover, I still drink and I love to, I love to have a drink. I definitely I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but uh, uh, I certainly like to have a drink uh, at the weekend. And um, so I love to, to, to go on there, whether I'm tired or hungover or whatever it is. And I always say, I'm fantastic. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and they're like, how are you? And I'm like, when I say back, how are you? And they go, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's start there then. I've ha I had a couple of too many drinks last night and, uh, and I'm still fantastic. And uh, so it's like, it's so weird to me that, that people don't understand. Start with the basics. It's like what we said earlier on about time. You know, on average, people watching and listening to this will spend 13 and a half hours per week digitally distracted during business time. Yeah. Like, think about that. 13 and a half hours during a 40 hour working week. Yeah. So that's over a quarter digitally distracted. So in other words, on Spotify, on their music, on their social media, on Sky News, on this and that and the other. Imagine how productive you could be with grab that time back. So they're simple concepts, but the simple concepts are actually the best concepts I find. I mean, I can get into the, the neurology of the brain with you. I can talk to the cows come home about science because I'm a scientist, right? None of that matters. What matters is start with the basics, get the foundation right of how you present uh, present yourself in public, how you present online and whatnot, you know? People, like, I mean, you're the expert in tells, but, you know, I, I, I was working with, a, I was working, I, I better not say who I'll get in trouble, but I was working with a fairly well-known football team. We'll call them a sporting team. And uh, so I went in, set my laptop up and all the rest and, you know, the, the, the big noises were there at the front and then the team members arrived in. I hadn't met them before, you know, and um, I didn't. I really didn't know their names or their face or anything. But based on where they sat in the room and based on the punctuality, I, I said I would predict who were starters on the team, who were substitutes, who were disgruntled and about to leave. And um, they sort of afterwards at the meet and greet, they said to me, you, you got planted information. And I said, no, I, I didn't know any of you. I said, but your team captain was first in the room. He came up to the front of the room. He shook my hand. He said, you're very welcome in the he sat yeah. front and centre, and the first thing he did was took out a notebook and a pen. And I said, your, your third reserve goalkeeper, he wandered in at the back, his shoelaces were open, he barely sat, he fell into the seat, and he endured my presentation. He didn't get anything from it because he had already made his mind up before he came in, you know? Okay, so I have to stop you there, because this is important. So I dealt with a very well-known uh, hurling team a couple of years back. They brought me in to, to work with them, not just give a talk, do yeah. a couple of workshops and work one-on-one -on -one with individuals. I met them uh, in a hotel. I won't say what hotel. So I met them in a hotel. And uh, and this is a, a team that hasn't won like the All-Ireland in like, years and years and years, right? So I walked in and started my presentation and I could see a couple of these hurlers like kind of kicking each other under the, the seats and giggling and stuff like that. And I immediately recognized there and then I'm going to go through this process anyway, because I was being paid to be there. So I thought I'll go through the process anyway, but I know that this is not going to work. I know that it's not going to work, but here's the crazy thing for me. And, and like, even at that age, even at that level, I would expect them to absorb like sponges, yeah. anything that will give them the edge.
Yeah, yeah. When you, when, you, when you flip that over into, for example, rugby players, so I've worked with a lot of rugby players over the years, they're ready, they're primed, they can't wait to absorb as much. So that's not knocking hurling, but I'm just giving you the difference between two, two different teams, two different mindsets of people who are willing to improve versus people who are just like, oh, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch this, but I'm not really into it. But actually for me, I'm infinitely curious about the world. I love to learn. And, uh, and look, I, I'm a, an open-minded skeptic. So I am a skeptic, but I'm an open-minded skeptic. So I examine things from a scientific uh, evaluation and then I'll make my own decision based on whatever, whatever way I evaluate it. Um, but I'm open-minded to listening to everybody and having conversations and debates and so on. Uh, but yeah, so it's just interesting to me, like what, what you're saying there about two different people with two different attitudes. You know, if I'm listening to you in one of your talks, I'm just looking for one thing, one yeah. thing that I can use in my life. That's it. I'm not looking for a hundred things in your hour of presentation, but I am curious. I'm curious to find out, all right, will I climb Kilimanjaro in my underpants with Wim Hof because you did it, <laughs> you did it with a washing machine. <laughs> wouldn't recommend it. Wouldn't recommend it. I will never, oh. ever, ever go back to altitude as long as I live, you know. But, you know, speaking of, altitude, uh, of, of, of adventures, you know, we were, we were coming down, um, we were going up Kilimanjaro at one stage and, you know, I was very sick and the washing machine was heavy. I was really ill and my hands were like completely muddy, bloody, messy and, I turned to one of the, the Tanzanians who was with me and, you know, they had such brilliant life attitude. And I, I looked at my fingernails and said to this guy, I said, Jesus, what the hell is that under my nails? And he had a look at my fingers and he went, he said, uh, oh, yeah, he said, that's adventure. And he, <laughs> his mind was just focused. And, I, you know, we were all, uh, we were quite a few Waterford people and people from all over Ireland struggling to get up this mountain with, with this nutcase with his washing machine and uh, I, I said to him one day I said Emmanuel like how many times have you climbed the mountain this year he said 15 and here were we like on our life-changing moment and I said how the hell do you go how do you do it 15 times in a row and he said it's easy I love my children you know that's I got up <laughs> got up every morning and went up that mountain uh, you know yeah. rapidly and had no problem doing it Keith you know I've, I've had um so I've spoken to the last two weeks, I spoke to three Waterford people, and I, I'm just coincidentally looking. Um, I looked at an interview you did. You, you had a cup of tea with Tip FM, if you can remember that interview, about five years ago. <laughs> Hardly. Do you, remember yes, I can. You, do you remember what you said? <laughs> do you remember what you said your favourite movie was? Or can, you, can you still tell me now? Off the cup? You. Well, The Shawshank Redemption would be one of them. That, yeah. was, that was your okay. answer on a cup of tea on Tip FM. Coincidentally, I've had three very famous Waterford people on the last few days, and all of them have said their favourite movie was Shawshank Redemption. There you go. And uh, I, I had Derek McGraw on this morning, and um, I hope he can listen to the podcast because he's, uh, he's he's so much more than than hurling and, and you know the the, the public. Yeah. He's a very very intelligent guy. He's studying a masters in psychology at the moment in sports psychology, yeah. but. Um, his take on the Shawshank Redemption was just fantastic. He was particularly talking about Andy crawling through the pipe, the sewer pipe and covered in, in crap, you know, but when you come out the other end of life that, you know, the crap was washed off and he stood up a free man and, you know, the, the, uh, what, what, what for you, what do you love about the movie? What, what resonates with you and Shawshank? You know what, it's the type of movie I rewatch once every 10 years and you, you just reminded me, I must rewatch it, but I think it was really my first, uh, I suppose my first experience watching Morgan Freeman for starters, and I think it's just the acting. The acting was just phenomenal in yeah. Shawshank Redemption, and just that storyline, you know, of of despair and you know, and just 
the, the, that that whole metaphorical entrapment and breaking free and all that. I just loved every moment of it. And then, and then of course, I got to meet Morgan Freeman on Now You See Me Too, which was just phenomenal um, when I met him because uh, he challenged me to hack his brain. The yeah. first time I ever met him. And, and I can't, I'm not going to try and take off his voice, but you can yeah. imagine Morgan Freeman in his own voice saying, <laughs> I challenge you to read my mind. Yeah. That freaked me out when you go back to being nervous, say nervous. I mean, I got really nervous because like I explained to him, but I don't really read minds. I read but body. You still, you still did it, right? Yeah. And it's not instant. It's going to take, any, take a bit of time. He's like, I've got time, boy. And, <laughs> okay, so, uh, so anyway, uh, I did this whole thing. This, and I went, it takes about seven minutes. I went through this process. But I told him ultimately about a childhood friend of his called Boo Boo that he hadn't even thought about in 60 or 65 years. And he literally lost his mind he just started screaming <laughs> fucking believable fucking believable and i was like oh my god is somebody capturing this so actually john chu the director there was no cameras on but he, he was uh taking photographs of the whole yeah. thing so my favorite photograph in the world uh which i have framed in my office inside the house is of me right at the moment hacking into Morgan Freeman's mind. Yeah. And that's a very special photograph and a very special moment to me. So, you know, that then looping back to the Shawshank Redemption, Redemption is a lovely circle for me, you know? Yeah, I, I think you've, like, we were talking at the start about, you know, having roots and having a sense of place and, you know, coming from Ireland, coming from Waterford. But um, I think the funniest, the funniest photograph that I could find of you online is yourself and Woody in the forum with two pints of Guinness. Oh, yeah. Plain bingo uh, in an empty bingo hall. <laughs> How did that even come about? <laughs> I'll tell you how that came about, actually. Is I did I did the biggest stunt of my career that night. Um, Winterville. It's for the Waterford, Waterford Winterville. And yeah. I hung upside down from a crane uh, in a straight jacket with my head wrapped in cling film, about, or whatever, 200 foot in the air, and with 10,000 people on the mall. So that's the most I've ever performed to be. Actually, 10,000 people came out to witness it. It was crazy. Like the whole mall was just stuffed the whole way down with 10,000 people. Um, and then I made it snow on the mall afterwards. But here's the crazy thing. So Woody is a very strict raw vegan, meaning his, uh, his food can only be cooked to a certain temperature. I can't remember what the temperature is, but it, it basically means the food is still pretty much raw. It's only vegetables anyway. So yeah. I was like, where in Watford is going to give Woody Harrison? <laughs> well, that was my whole problem that weekend. It wasn't getting out of a straight jacket. It wasn't getting the cling film off my face and not suffocating. He was like, where am I going to get Woody dinner? Right? <laughs> so, well, no, actually at the time, it didn't last very long, unfortunately. But David Dennison, uh, formerly of the Wine Vault, which is where yeah. I pretty much started. He gave me my start right. with close-up magic. He had a restaurant for, it didn't last very long, so I can't remember the name of it, but in, in the forum, so beneath the theater in the forum. And... Uh, so I rang David and said, listen, I'm bringing Woody Harrelson into town. And he's like, cheer, the cheers, Woody Harrelson. I was like, the cheers, Woody Harrelson. I'm bringing him into town tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, we have to get the chef to knock up some really nice vegan-y vegetables for him. That's it. I just need vegan-y vegetables, right? <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, sure. So we went there for dinner. And then Kieran, uh, who I've dealt with for years in the, the forum, great guy. Kieran uh, had just converted the forum into a bingo hall. Uh, <laughs> So Kieran knew we were having dinner there. So he comes running down and goes, listen, Keith, do you and Woody fancy coming up and having a game of bingo in the bingo hall? I was like, sure, whatever. Woody, do you like bingo? We go up to the bingo hall. I was like, sure, whatever. So we went up, we took a point again. And so Kieran, being the, the clever man that he is, took a photograph. And then all of a sudden, the next day, it was everywhere. It was just a photograph. 
online global news yeah. oh, i was getting photo i was getting phone calls from press of the uk and everything you know can you explain how woody harrelson was playing bingo in waterford last <laughs> night so that's how it all took place uh, so it was all down to woody being a vegan and david dennis at the restaurant in the forum at the time and then kieran being huge whore as we'll say that he is yeah. and coming down it's a great photograph because like you, you can really see the two of you are just having the crack you know and I, one of the photographs I saw, you know, you both got your bingo card waiting for the numbers to come up, but just in the corner, you can see two sneaky pints of Guinness just peeping, oh, yeah. peeping into the photo, you know. Keith, listen, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for coming on this evening. Um, I just, I, you know what, a great sign with with, with podcast. Uh, some I've had guests where, like, I've asked them a question and they've answered it in two words, and then I realize I've gone 65 questions down and this is dying on his feet. And, I didn't even get past the first three or four questions I had for you. I, I enjoyed myself that much. And you're such a good entertainer and such a good talker. I think, um, like I said, I think what shines from you is energy and real natural talent. But there's a, there's always, you know, what I would hear people say, there's always something very grounded about you. Like you, you did say at the start, you are very well known. But uh, I think, uh, you know, in Waterford, I think they would definitely describe you as sound as a pound. <laughs> I, still love, I still love a plan. I go down there, as I said, every week fishing. Here, before we go, yeah. uh, I, I got to write something down here real quick, okay? Uh, I think this will be for you, so I'll just grab my Sharpie. Well, I wasn't even going to ask, right, because my daughter said to me, are you going to ask Are you going to ask Keith to do something? I said, it's a podcast. I'm not going to do something. And then I forgot it's on video. Okay. Well, actually, I, actually, watch this. Here, like this is, this is brand new now. Look, I've written a word. Uh... I've written a word on this card here. Yeah. Any idea? Okay. Do you know, honestly, what word is on the card that I've written down? Not, you know? It's not the slightest. And my brain is already racing to a word that you couldn't possibly get. No, 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 no. Without guessing. Do yeah. you know what's, what word is here? Not a chance. No. I no? Couldn't. You're correct. No. You got it right. <laughs> no. Amazing. How did you do that? Um, so hang on. Hang on. <laughs> but all jokes aside. Uh, I, I've written down, uh, I haven't finished it off yet, so let me just finish it off. So I'll, I'll show you what I've written down to start with. It says, Ender will say, okay, look at that, Ender will say, and I'm going to do the rest behind my back. So hang on, I'm going to go behind my back here. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with that. Okay, it's kind of scribbled, but you get the idea. I'll get rid of the marker. All right, so for the first time, uh, if, you were to, if you were in all of your listeners and viewers, if you were to th think of a number between, we'll say, 1 and 10, most people will say 7. That's just statistics. But let's get outside of statistics. Name a number between 1 and 1,000, Enda, out loud. A number between 1 and 1,000. Any number. 756. Now, why did you go with 756? Completely random, I think. No, no, it's because I wanted you to go for 756. No. Enda will say 756. That's what See, I wanted you to say. That actually physically hurts. I have seen so many people, you know, down through the years where you do that to on TV and and they're shocked and I'm going, that's a set. He's been, I am absolutely properly shocked. I'll be sitting here for 10 minutes after we finish this podcast going, how did he get 756? How the hell did you get 756? Well, I didn't get it. I put it inside your head. <laughs> Keith, listen, thank you so much. And uh, no I'm looking forward to seeing you live in Waterford. I, I presume there's another show coming soon on its way. I know you've got a book on its way. I know um, anyone I know who, who goes to see you in Woodlands or in the Olympia or whatever it is, they come out completely uh, shocked and entertainment. And that's what that.
that's what it should be about you know thank you so much for coming on sure thing thanks yeah hopefully back in the woodlands and uh, back live january february march 2022 that's